following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our reading this evening is from Exodus chapter 3 on page 59. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he fled the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of the Father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, and let a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. 
and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just going to uh, pray for Richard as he comes to speak to us. Father, we thank you for Richard. Thank you for the gifts that you have given him. Thank you for the way that he has sought your face as he has prepared these words this night. And pray that as he speaks them, you would anoint him with your spirit and bless him as he seeks to bless us in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Aaron, for the invitation uh, to come and share from the Word of God with you this evening. Another day in the life of Moses, shepherd, keeper of flocks, and he is a long way out on the far side of the wilderness, as we heard it read. Although if we were reading from the King James, it would have said, on the backside of the desert. And there is a bush that is on fire and does not burn up. Why? Why doesn't it? Why is the bush not consumed? Is it the ancient equivalent of an opening anecdote designed to attract your attention but that really has nothing to do with the message that follows? Is it that once Moses has spotted it and gone over to take a look... The significance of the burning bush is done and we can get on with the real point of the story. Is God given to providing clever but not very relevant signs just to catch someone's attention? The bush burns, but it is not burned up. Why not? The rabbis wondered if it was significant that the word for bush sounded a bit like the word Sinai which in due course will be the name for Horeb, the mountain of God, where this story takes place. As if the bush was symbolizing something. And come to think of it, what is it that makes this the mountain of God in the first place, out on the backside of the desert? Well, the answer to that last question, at least, is clear. What makes this the mountain of God is that God is there speaking from the midst of the fire. When God is present, we are in the presence of holiness. And so Moses has to take off his sandals, and he hides his face, and he is afraid, because he realizes that he is in the presence of a holy God. Now I understand that St. Nick's does not operate a policy of requiring worshippers to take off their shoes and socks when they come in to worship. That's fine, and it may even be a mercy, all things considered. We don't have to go barefoot, and it makes little difference whether you do or not. But as long as that doesn't become a reason to forget that we do in fact enter into the presence of a holy God when we gather in worship. And like Moses, it should probably make a difference to how 
and who we are. Anyway, God says that he's heard the cries of his people, their misery in Egypt, their slavery, their suffering, and he's on his way to rescue them. Interestingly, this is pretty much what was said right before the burning bush, the last thing said in chapter 2, where we read, God heard their groaning, remembered his covenant, looked on the Israelites, and saw. Or in other words, he saw what was happening and decided to do something about it. Cue the bush that that burns but doesn't burn up, and God telling Moses that the plan is underway. Is this good news for Moses? Is he cheering? Is he thinking, well, at last, God is going to do something about it. I'm delighted. So if you'll just let me get back to shepherding, all shall be well. God's going on a bit at this point in the passage. There's something about a land flowing with milk and honey. There's the home of the Hittites and the Hivites. It sounds like it's shaping up to be one of those classic Old Testament passages that lists people we've never heard of. And Moses may be drifting into a sense of security that God has this all in hand when, hang on a minute, what was that last thing he said? Somewhere around verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Sorry, says Moses. Me? Surely some mistake. What follows is a lengthy series of dialogues, we just get the beginning of them here in this chapter, between God and Moses, a kind of negotiation over what exactly Moses' calling is going to be here, and why he should trust God to carry it out, and who God is that Moses can trust him. I'm just going to pick out a couple of highlights. First, Moses asks, who am I? that I should go. Who am I that I should go? And notice that God says absolutely nothing about who Moses is that he should go. Did you notice that? Verse 11, Moses says, who am I? Verse 12, God says, I will be with you. I have wondered if the final agreed transcript of this scene in the book of Exodus leaves the bit out where Moses says, yes, God, but that's not what I was asking. Is it true that God sends people into God's work not because of their own nature and characteristics, but because of God's nature and characteristics? Who am I, Lord, we may pray, and God may say, I will be with you, and that's all you need to know. Actually, God does add something else at this point, but it is a little bit intriguing. He tells Moses, still reeling, I suspect, from this sudden commission, that there will be a sign that God has sent him, Moses, to do this work. God is anticipating what will become clear in the remainder of this conversation that Moses cannot quite imagine wandering into the courts of Pharaoh with a business card stamped shepherd from the backside of the desert and being taken seriously at all. So God gives him a sign, but the sign is 
Wait for it. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship on this mountain. I picture Moses standing there, slightly puzzled. And not just because there's a bush burning that won't burn up in front of him, which I am coming back to. But Moses standing there, thinking this through, and trying to put into words his sense that something doesn't add up here. How can the sign that God has sent him to Pharaoh be that one day they'll all be back here on this mountain to worship? All very well in the long run, but how does it help him now as he knocks on the door of the house of Pharaoh to seek audience with the government of the day? But I put it to you, brothers and sisters, that this is often exactly how signs work with God. They are completely convincing and reassuring and empowering once you have lived through the proof that they do in fact work out. Until they do, you can be as sure as a shepherd can be, but you'll always have that sense that you can't quite grasp how God's mighty intervention is actually going to play out. But the one thing you do know is that you are not being invited to stay in the backside of beyond. You have to be on the 642 camel train to Cairo tomorrow morning to seek audience with the leading ministers of the land, required by God to tell them that their pressing business about the Middle Eastern Free Trade Union and the reinstitution of border checks at the Suez Canal is to be overtaken by a self-instituted movement on behalf of the disenfranchised Israelite slaves who will be voting leave. Thank you very much. And there's nothing that Pharaoh's Oxbridge education can do about it. And, spoiler alert, for those of you who haven't read the book yet, or the simpler version, seen the movie, it's actually going to work. You are actually going to get them out, and one day you will be worshipping God on this holy mountain, and you will look back and you will say, Ha! It's just like God said! And we, as we lift it out faithfully, so God's faithfulness was made known. Although more quietly, you may still say to yourself, Who am I? Who am I to have done all this? At which point God will say, I am with you. Shouldn't have pointed to myself at that moment. <laughs> Which is why, now that we have finally gotten to the name of God in this passage, the name of God is, I am who I am. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Can we recognize that Exodus 3 is not a freestanding piece of theological discussion about who God is in the abstract? Is he eternal? Is he omnipotent? And so forth. Exodus 3 is part of the story about how God is revealed to Israel. God is revealed to us. God is revealed to any who have ears to hear as the God who when we need to know whether God is real, fundamentally is there, is here, is with us. Because the one thing at the root of all the other things we can say about God 
is that God is the one who is. Being. That's what God does. Everywhere. Always. And indeed, perfectly. Will Moses get through the trials to come? Yes. Because God is. Will Israel survive slavery in Egypt? Yes, because God is. Will we, as God's people in this place, live to see new hope and new life in our city and our county and our country? Yes, because God is. Every time we doubt this, which is fine if Moses' model is anything to go by, we are allowed to doubt this, We are invited to ask God, what's going on? What are you doing about it? How is this going to work out? And God's answer underneath whatever else God may choose to say on any particular occasion will remain, I am who I am. And thus life and hope and light are never extinguished, no matter how dark the plagues that may come across us, literally or figuratively. God says to Moses, tell them I am has sent me to you. It is my name forever. You can even use it in Durham in 2020, if you like. Moses says, don't put that in the book, it will just confuse everyone. You may have noticed, if you were reading it in your Bibles, that some of the words around here are printed in capitals. I am who I am in capitals. This is designed to show us that this is really and literally the name of the Lord. Jewish tradition never pronounced it, so we actually don't know what it sounded like in the ancient world. In earlier times, it was rendered Jehovah. In the 20th century, we guessed that it was, called, that it was pronounced Yahweh. And Christians have a freedom to use this name, I suppose. Though like all freedoms, it should be exercised responsibly. And the more traditional option is simply to say, the Lord. Which is also printed in capitals in your Bibles to show you that it's a name and not just a title. This is who God is. It's true at all times. Which is one reason why it can also be translated, I will be who I will be. But the most important thing I wanted to say this evening is this, that the name of God is not some extra piece of theological information to file away under what I learned today. Rather, it is a promise. It is an active commitment from God to never let us forget that, especially when we need it most, that God is the one who is with us. Stand with Moses for a moment and ponder that. The confrontation with Pharaoh is still to come. The sign that God is with us will fully be grasped only at the end when we look back and see that it was true. But in the meantime, God is with us. I do have one last thing to add as we stand with Moses. Um, What is it? It's the bush that's still burning and hasn't been burned up. What is that about? 
I actually think it's part of the promise of this passage. The rabbis were right. The bush represents something. It is Israel. It is God's people. The bush is you and me. The bush is God's church. It's all of these. And it burns with fire because we often experience life as a raging fire, threatening, overwhelming, scary, out of control. The Bible uses this image to describe Israel's experiences in slavery, in exile, in trouble, in foreign lands. But the prophet Isaiah promises when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. And this is why the bush burns. God's people are in the midst of real trouble. And it's also why the bush is not burned up because God is with them. Perhaps you came here tonight wanting to hear good news, for which the Christian word is gospel. Well, the good news is not that all is well and that our faith in Christ, in our faith in Christ, we shall have no trouble. No, the good news is that despite the ever-present reality of what feels like overwhelming and out-of-control trouble, God is with us, and the fire will not burn us up. How do we know God is with us? Because his name is I am who I am, and because one day we will worship together on that holy mountain towards which we are traveling. In the meantime, here's some words of Jesus. But I can't help thinking he saved up for the end of his time on earth, knowing full well that they came from this passage in Exodus 3. Words of Jesus from the end of Matthew's gospel, as he says to the disciples, Surely I am with you always to the ends of the age. This is and always has been the promise of the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. So thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.